Right, join me now, if you would, James chapter 5 in your Bible. If you have a hard copy of a mobile device, love for you to join me there. If not, it'll be up on the screen, but something always good about seeing it for yourself. James chapter 5. Because we live in a fallen world, you know what I mean by that? Because we live in a world that has been impacted by sin. Our world is not as God first created it. Life on this planet is not as God first created it. Sin has, if you will, ruined the good that God had made. Because we live in a fallen world, life is always in some way hard. For some people, it's harder than others, and sometimes it's harder than other times. But there is always a, a hard portion of life. And our hard usually comes in one of two forms, either a circumstantial heart, like cancer, or a loss of a job, or a hurricane. Circumstantial heart. And then there's another type of heart called relational heart. It's life is hard because we're sinful and other people are sinful and sinful people make life hard for people. Yes? Yes. And what the scripture is going to address for us from James chapter 5 this morning is that type of hard. Not the circumstantial hard. James addressed that already. But when others make life hard. What, what do we need to, know, to know? What's the scripture say to us when other people are making our life hard? Now, you may wonder, why do I think chapter seven, or chapter five, verses seven through 11, deal with specifically life because of what others are making it hard. It's because, what's the first word, at least New American Standard, the first word in verse seven is what? Therefore. So you have to understand then, for what was verses one through six about? And if you missed last week, verses one through six was about this. Can I have you guys? One through six was about how people were getting rich off of others by taking advantage of them and not giving them their due. So in their sinfulness, they were making life hard for others. And the first six verses in chapter five were a stinging rebuke about how the rich had gotten their riches and how the rich were using their riches. But now, this morning in verse seven through 11, he flips, if you will, the other side and he's not speaking to those who are making life hard, he's speaking to those who are experiencing life hard because of the sin of others. Therefore, because other people take advantage of you, other people sin against you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until 
the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. That the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. So the repeated admonition for those who were experiencing hard because of the sin of others was what repeated word? You be, be patient. He says, I want you to be patient, brethren. Patient. And then he says, knowing that, and we'll look at what we need to know in order to be patient. But do you know what patience really means? <laughs> patience means be long-suffering. See, I think we say, oh, I know I need to be more patient, but but what we mean by that usually is, I, need, I know I need to get over this bothering me. But that's not what patience is. Being patient is like, oh, this doesn't bug me anymore. Oh, this isn't hard for anymore. Have you ever thought that somebody is patient? So, oh, don't worry about it. They're, they're a patient person. They're not bothered by that. It doesn't get under their skin. That's not what being patient is. Being patient it is, is that I am continuing to suffer, to be impacted, but not, what, what, what do we do when we're impatient? Right? We just like explode. Being patient means, even though it's hard, and continuing to be hard, I'm not going to bail out or blow up. Because when I'm impatient, I just bail out or I blow up. Right? I either run or I attack. <laughs> That's what I do when I'm impatient. To be patient is not, oh, it doesn't bother me anymore. It's to not allow it to call me, to, to allow it to, for me to bail or blow. So, you can write be patient knowing, but I think it's more real to say, because it's more descriptive, more accurate in the way we think, to be long-suffering. Be long-suffering knowing these truths. First, he says, be long-suffering, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Why? Why does the coming of the Lord matter? The coming of the Lord matters because the hard will end. That's the beauty of the coming of the Lord. His, 
His encouragement is be long-suffering knowing that the hard will end and the end will be when the Lord returns, then our hard made by sinful others will stop. I hope that encourages because there's, there's nothing. I don't know that there's, maybe there's something that I don't know about. I don't know that there's anything worse than pain that has no promise or hope of ever going away. Some of you experience physical chronic pain. And that that thought that it's never going to go away as long as I live. The only thing that's going to change it is if I die. That's hard. Hope is it's not going to last forever. It will end. The coming of the Lord matters to believers because we are, and we'll see, we will experience hard because of our following of Jesus, but it won't last forever. It will come to an end. And as we'll see, we need to be able to hold on. To it's not going to last. So I really appreciated uh, what my wife Jackie did for our friend Mark, who was uh, diagnosed with some cancer, and he had to go through 39 cancer treatments. And to give him hope, Jackie bought a, a, a jar and filled it with 39 pieces of candy. And then just dropped it at their house and simply said, just take one. Each day of your treatment, take a piece of candy and eat it. And, and normally when we see our candy jar getting empty, that's bad. <laughs> but this was what? A physical reminder. It's not going to last forever. There's, it's going to come to an end. And, and sometimes we just need to be able to visualize it and know Man, this is hard. And you know what I mean, don't you? Relational hard, like maybe it's your boss or a coworker or a neighbor or a spouse or a sibling. And I'm not talking personality stuff. Oh, they just so uh, they bug me. No, their their sinful choices are making life hard for you. What's the hope? How can you long suffer, not blow, not bail? Uh, go, this won't last. I can endure. It's kind of like uh, in college. You need to make money over the summer. You kind of go, ah, if it pays well, I can do anything because it's only for the summer. <laughs> Limitation, temporary, makes a difference in our Long suffering. That's what he says. Be patient, knowing that the coming of the Lord, until the coming of the Lord. Then he says, rest of verse seven, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient, long suffering about it until it gets the early and the late rains. See, there's something that the farmer knows that is important for us to know in our own suffering and our own hardship brought on us by others. And that is 
it's necessary. Like rain is for a crop. See, if you're not a farmer, you're like, oh, is it going to rain today? Uh, man, I want to go to the beach. Oh, I want to play tennis today. It's going to rain today. It's going to mess up our plants. It's going to mess up our plants. But a farmer goes, no, you love a sunshiny day, but without, without rain, what don't you get? Precious produce. So he's simply saying, here's an example. When you think of the hard and how it bugs you and you just wish it wasn't part of your life, that's normal. I just wish it wasn't part of my life. But he's giving us perspective that suffering is actually necessary. It's a part of following Jesus for the simple reason that if we are followers of Jesus, our leader suffered. And there are only so many things, friends, that we learn in the sunshine. You follow my, you follow the example? There's things that we learn in the sunshine when life is good, but there are things about walking with Jesus. There's things that we have to learn about walking in faith and trusting God and learning to cry out in prayer and being dependent upon him that we'll never learn when every day is sunshine. See, I, I will not learn to be like Jesus until people make life hard for me. I won't. Think about the hardship in the life of Jesus. Circumstantial versus relational. And you'll realize, man, the vast majority of the hardship in the life of Jesus was which bucket? Relational. And as much as I don't want it, it's necessary. Which is why Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. See, God, why am I suffering as, as if we shouldn't? Why do people dislike me? Why are people mocking me? Why are people against me? Why don't people like me? Because you're following Jesus, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, like he suffered, keep on rejoicing. Last thing we ever really think of. Oh, keep on rejoicing? When do we rejoice? When they stop. That's when we rejoice, when those people die. When those people get out of our lives. That's when we rejoice. But that's not what he says. Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. See, brand new perspective. Blessed. It's not really what you were thinking about. Blessed. Blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rest on you. Make sure, now here's an important clarifier, make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. In other words, if you're suffering, if people are making it hard on you because you did 
foolish, sinful things yourself, don't go, oh, Jesus. Go, I was wrong. (laughs) You understand what I'm saying? If you're sitting here thinking, my spouse is making it so hard on me. And you sin against them? Then don't suddenly go play the victim. Like, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Students, if you're grounded, you're not suffering for Jesus. (laughs) You're suffering for foolishness, and it's not the same thing. You see what I'm saying? Not being able to drive because of a drunken driving arrest is not suffering for Jesus. It's not what he's talking about. It's about what? If anyone suffers as a Christian, in other words, for living as Christless, for doing that which is right, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. Okay? Rain, it's a necessary part. The farmer knows it. Without it, we don't get precious produce. Without people in my life, without people in your life that make it hard, our faith wouldn't grow. So you're blessed. You're blessed because our faith is growing when people make, our faith has opportunity to grow when people make life hard. All right, third, verse eight. You too be patient. Why? What's he saying? Like the farmer, be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. So he comes back to this idea that the Hard is not going to last forever. It will end and it will come with the coming of the Lord. And now he adds, and the end is near. So uh, not only will that bring an end to the suffering, that end is near. And so what does he say we should do because the end is near? He says, strengthen your heart. I need to unpack this for us. To strengthen your heart. Sometimes when the scripture says, be strong, the actual tense of the Greek is this, be made strong. It's something that God does on your behalf. You're almost passive in the process. Be made strong. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, be strong. It literally would read, be made strong. So is this is what he's saying? You two be patient, strengthen your hearts, let your hearts be made strong? No, that's not what he's saying. This is something, not that we just sit and let God do for us. This is something that we very specifically, practically do. And uh, I want to show you an example from the life of Jesus what it looks like to strengthen your heart. In Luke chapter nine, it says of Jesus, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. 
when the days were approaching for his ascension, when he would return to the Father, he was determined. This word here, determined, is the same word that we see in James 5, strengthen your hearts. When the days were approaching for his ascension, he strengthened his heart to go to Jerusalem. Now, that is Luke chapter 9. Do you know how many chapters there are in Luke? Twenty-four. Is the end near? It all depends what you compare it to. Is five minutes a long time? If you're underwater, that's a long time. If I'm offshore fishing and the captain says, we're pulling in our lines in five minutes, that's not very long, right? It's all perspective. And what's Jesus doing? He is actually time-wise not a week away from his ascension, not a month away from his ascension. He's more than six months away from his ascension. But what's he doing? He is strengthening in his heart by looking toward the ascension because the ascension would bring what? What would the ascension bring for, the, for Jesus? The end of... Suffering. You see, between, uh, between this moment in the life of Jesus in 951, what's going to happen? And the ascension. He is going to be mocked. He's going to be falsely accused. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be denied. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. And what's he looking toward? when that's all done. You see that? You know what we do? We look at, oh man, and then we look at the heart and how it's gonna multiply and get more hard. And what Jesus did, he strengthened his heart. This is what I'm calling us to. This is what James is saying. He's saying, look, be, look past all of that and look toward the end. And near is relative. Six months might seem like a long time. It might seem like a short time. But in relation to eternity, what is it? In relation to eternity, six months is what? Not that long. The end, he says, is near. So do what? Strengthen your heart. Same core word. He was determined. He strengthened 
his heart to go to Jerusalem because that was where, yes, he would suffer, but in his heart, in his mind, it's where it would end. Next verse. What do we need to know? When other people make our life hard, it's going to end. It's necessary. That end is near. Do not complain, brother, in verse 9, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Now, because he's speaking to brethren, we know the judge here is not the condemning, condemned to hell judge. This is the judge, the judgment seat of Christ, where we will give an account for how we have lived as followers of Jesus. And he is saying that that judge is standing at the door, in other words, because the end is near. And who's going to give an account for what they've done? Well, the rich who have made their lives hard are going to give an account, and who else is going to give an account? They, he's saying, you who have been wronged, you have had your life been made hard, you're going to give an account by how you have responded to what they have done. Don't complain. Don't grumble. They're going to give an account, and you'll give an account. See, As I tried to put myself in this text, I realized, here's what's happening. When somebody wrongs me, it's easy for me to justify my own wrong. Especially if it's not as wrong as their wrong was wrong. Right? And he's going... They've taken advantage of you. They've withheld from you. Don't grumble. Their wrong does not make your wrong right. Now I know your mom always told you that. Two wrongs don't make a right. But this is exactly what James is saying. That when we, all of us, whether it's our spouse or a boss, a sibling, another person at the chapel wrongs us, then we're justified in our own wrong as, least, as long as it's not as wrong as their wrong was wrong. And he's saying, don't lie to yourself about that stuff. The judge is going to deal with them and the judge is going to deal with with me as well so hey is complaining as bad as fraud <laughs> stealing robbing cheating complaining is kind of tame compared to that <laughs> that's what we think But there's no justification. This is what's challenging. There's no justification for me to complain and grumble, even if I have legitimate reason. Why? Because we're going to give an account for complaining and grumbling, just like 
all will give an account for whatever we've done. Again, the judge at the door, don't miss it. The judge at the door is a reminder that the end is near and the end will bring an end to the heart. So he hasn't moved from that core idea that the return of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, is what our hope is in. Fifth, in verse 10, first part of verse 11, as an example. So the farmer was an example that all life of sunshine won't produce good crop. We need rain. Second example, as an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, not blowing or bailing, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They spoke in the name of the Lord. They brought truth that needed to be brought. And what happened? Uh, they got blasted. They got ostracized. Some of them got killed, stoned, beaten, kicked out. Take them as an example. We count those blessed who endured. Uh, they did it. And they didn't bail. They didn't blow. We consider them blessed. Remember how we've said all through the book of James. James is taking from Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus said on this very thing on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Have you considered yourself blessed when that happens? I know we know this, but this is really challenging to go, wow, what a blessing of an email that was to me. <laughs> Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. Blessed are you when they falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, this, there's a whole new idea here. And I know this will sound like I'm being silly. I'm not being silly. But when people persecute us, when people say false things against us, and, and hey, Power Up Club is coming. Every year we get neighbors and some of our host homes get neighbors who say all kinds of nasty things about our host homes. And oftentimes really persecute. What do we say to that? Yeah. Well done. You are earning me reward in heaven. Thank you. Now, that's not what we normally think, but that's exactly what Jesus is saying. That those folks, they're against you, yes, but what they don't realize is they're doing you a huge favor. They are giving you opportunity to earn what you wouldn't be able to earn without their lies and their accusations. They're giving you an opportunity to, re to earn reward in heaven. Your reward is, is what? Great. Do you believe that? You think a reward in heaven will be great? Why do you think your reward in heaven will be great if you're persecuted and falsely lied against? Yeah, because uh, the source is a good source. Jesus says, 
Jesus said, your reward will be great. So how do we long suffer? How do we not blow or bail? We can anticipate there is a greater reward. Far, far greater than anything we endure. But I, and I get this. I understand. Do we know what reward in heaven is going to look like? No. We don't really know what reward in heaven is going to look like. And because we don't know what it looks like, we're tempted to dismiss it. To think, ah, like the, like the guy who said to me, hey, as long as I get into heaven, I don't really care about reward. Okay, I, I, I understand what you're, what you're saying there, except that's not what Jesus said about reward. Does it, is reward in heaven a legit motivation? Yes, friends. Because he says it's going to be great. I don't think any of us are going to get to heaven and go, Oh, wow. This was the reward? <laughs> that can happen. A friend of mine worked for a company who they would have a huge uh, end of the year Christmas party. And at that party, they would have a raffle where there would be a winner of a great prize, and the way you got to enter the raffle was not typically where you buy in. You got to enter the raffle through the whole year by going above and beyond in your work. Like if you did something that was like really extra, they're like, wow, oh, that's awesome, way to go, that's good for us, we wanna reward you, and we'll put another voucher if you in for the raffle, another name, your name gets in, and then client throws up on the floor, and you're like, ah, oh, let me clean that, and we're like, oh, that's, that's two for you. Uh, <laughs> Seriously. And so he says, we're at this Christmas party and everybody's kind of been excited about, oh, what's this? What's because they've never disclosed what the what the prize is going to be. So they finally get everybody together and say, hey, you've done a great job. It's been a fantastic year, very profitable. And it's because of your hard work, you've gone above and beyond and we want a reward. And so it, Everybody has some vouchers in here. We're going to pick one. And they reach in, they pick it, and they call this girl, and everybody cheers for her, and she goes up on stage, and they go, because of your hard work and what you've done for us, here, we want to reward you with a $5 certificate for coffee. And there was at first this like, ha, 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 that's a joke. But it wasn't. And nobody cleans up throw up off the floor ever, ever again. <laughs> or does anything ever, ever again. Really? Uh, wow, I'll go buy my own coffee. That... That's not going to be a reward in heaven. There's not going to be like, ah, I should have just punched the guy. That would have been better. <laughs> I should have sent him an email back. That would have been more rewarding than this in heaven. Oh. I, don't, I don't think any of us think that. 
but I'm not sure because we don't understand what the reward will be that we really fully are convinced and believe it's going to be great. And there will be zero regret that the comparison between the insults and the accusations and the lies and the reward, this will sound funny, maybe even a little stupid, but I wonder if we won't go, oh man, why don't I live in a way that people insulted me a little bit more? Again, not for being a jerk, not for being a murderer or a thief or obnoxious, but what? For being Christian. For living out the life of Christ. And when we live out the life of Christ, we're going to suffer like he suffered and Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. Because he, I think he knew, no, strike that. He, I know he knew, well, we don't know. What awaits will be so worth whatever the suffering is now. Sixth, you've heard of the endurance of Job. Or maybe you haven't. You know what happened to Job? And it's Job. Uh, I remember a guy brand new at the chapel over here, Bible study, going, who in the world is Job? Which made sense to me. Who's Job? His name was, it was Job. Uh, the endurance of Job was that Job was a rich guy with a big family and a pile of blessings. And Satan said... Well, of course he loves you. Look how much you've blessed him. See what he does when you take it away. And the Lord said, go for it. And he allowed, because Satan is a pawn, by the way. He allowed him to take it away. Job lost his family, except his wife, and all of his riches. And he still loved the Lord. And Satan said, well, that's because he's still got his good health. Take his health away and see what he does. The Lord said, go for it, but you can't kill him. And so he covers his body with sores, and he's so miserable, his wife says, just curse God and die. And Job speaks appropriately to his wife. <laughs> Woman, you fool. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Next words. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And it was revealed. He didn't love the gifts more than the giver. He didn't love the stuff more than his God. And what did the Lord do? He gave it all back to him with interest. Lots, lots more. I've heard of the endurance of Job and seen the outcome. 
of the Lord's dealings, full of compassion, full of compassion. You meet lots of guys who go, I don't have much compassion. And then I meet guys who go, I have zero compassion. (laughs) But the Lord is not just compassionate. What is he? Full, full of compassion and is merciful. The hard that others are making our life, it varies across this room over north, people, folks watching. I'm not minimizing, I'm really not minimizing or making light. I'm saying what? It's gonna end. When the Lord returns, it's gonna end. And in the meantime, it's necessary. You cannot grow, I cannot grow apart from rain. And that end is near. Get your eyes off of the heart. Get your eyes, strengthen your hearts. Set your, set your face and your heart on the fact that the Lord will return. And be glad. You're getting a reward that you wouldn't get apart from that heart. And in the midst of it, know this about the Lord. What? He's compassionate and merciful. He sees. The Lord sees. See, again, our understanding is that um, the writer of this book is the brother of Jesus. So I think in a unique way, James had a, an inside look on how hard sinful people made life for Jesus. And he saw him faithful to the Father, endure long-suffering, his brother, the Lord Jesus, long-suffering, confident in the Father. And then I simply want to remind you, the Lord sees you in your heart. He's not blind to it. He has not forgotten. He sees. He is compassionate. And he has mercy. It won't last forever. And he is working it for your good. So ask the band to come and to lead us this morning in what James leads us to. A vision to the Lord's coming back. That's what we need to remember. And here's what I I think I've realized about anticipation of the Lord coming back. Ask yourself, and I'm not asking you to answer out loud, but on a scale of one to 10, how, how much are you looking forward to the Lord coming back? And I think, I think it's largely related to how hard life is now. Because when life is really easy and it's all sunshine, I'm not that anxious for the Lord to come back. But the the greater you are experiencing hard, the more you go, (laughs) I'm looking forward to his return.
gentleman said to me after Thursday night, he said, interesting, all the old gospel songs of African-American slaves, vast majority, talk about what? The Lord's coming back. Why? Because their life was hard. And they had one hope. It's not going to last forever. Our Jesus has come as a lamb to take away the sin of the world. And he will return not as a lamb, but as a, as a lion. And he will set all things right. Let's stand and let's fix and strengthen our hopes on the coming of the Lord.
good to worship with you this morning. Hey, as we go out this week, uh, let's just remember, uh, as Jesus endured, so we endured. As we, let's, Hebrews says, let's fix our eyes on him. And he's the author and perfecter. So he's working. He's the perfecter of our faith. And that happens in the heart as well. Um, so let's go and be encouraged. And we'll see you next time. We're going to have a great week. Thanks for being here.